It's not a matter of if, but when a crisis will rock your world. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. My crisis squad and I are here to find solutions. Our suggestions are meant to empower you to handle your own crisis or prevent crises from happening. We do not provide legal, financial, medical, or PR advice for particular situations, but strongly recommend you seek out professionals to help your specific need. Today, I've got Crisis Squad member Steve Silton here with me. He's a business and entertainment attorney and is used to complex topics and helping clients get out or stay out of trouble. We're here to discuss the case file I call, Is the PGA a Monopoly? Since my conversation with Steve, Phil Nicholson and other live golfers filed an antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour over their suspensions. Steve, give us some background on this new Live Tour and why the PGA Tour is so upset. It's probably the biggest story in sports that's occurred in a long time, that unless you follow professional golf, which the vast majority of people don't, even a lot of casual sports fans don't, you might not have heard of. The Live Tour is a competitive professional golf tour to the PGA Tour, which had essentially a virtual monopoly over the last hundred years. The PGA Tour has had this monopoly more than 100 years old. The Live Tour is actually backed by Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. Now, whenever we hear Saudi Arabia in this country, unfortunately for the Saudis or anyone who is Saudi Arabian and even an American citizen, there's a negative narrative, it seems. No question. The Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund invests in a whole wide range of businesses. In fact, Kira Bukafi, I believe, is one of them that they were an initial investor in. And you often don't hear that unless someone's trying to attack the particular business. In this case, if you have heard of the Live Tour, that's probably what you know more than anything else, is that it is backed by the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. That, you know, Their the, competitor, really. Yes. A serious competitor. Some of the headlines, which even non-golf fans might have seen, is that big golf names like Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, have left the PGA Tour and they're going with the Live Tour. And there's lots of money behind this. Even someone like David Faraday, who is a very well-known former golf player, he left NBC and the Golf Channel, and he will be broadcasting for the Live Tour. These are big coups for the Live Tour, Steve. Yeah, the Live Tour, no doubt, is coming in with a lot of money and a lot of ambition. And they've gone out and they signed up a whole array of professional golfers from the top names, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, to a whole bunch of mid-level golfers as well. And what makes the Live Tour unique, the tournaments are a little bit different. They're shotgun starts, which means everyone tees off at the same time. It's going to be quicker. It's not going to be as slow as the PGA Tour. It's only a three-day tournament as opposed to a four-day tournament. But the big and major difference, and frankly what's got the PGA so upset, is that they're guaranteeing salaries for everyone on the PGA Tour. Win or lose, you get paid. Yes, and you get additional prize money for winning the tournament, so it's not like there's no competition. But every single professional golfer on the Live Tour is going to get a guaranteed salary. And historically, that has been the brand of the PGA, is that you only get paid what you win. You really only get paid 
if not only you win, you don't get paid anything if you what's called missed a cut, which in other words, after the first two days of a tournament, you don't make it to the third day. And about half the golfers in a tournament don't make it to the third day. You had this purist mentality that the PGA has touted over the years. And now the Live Tour is saying, listen, we're going to guarantee a living wage, in some cases with guys like Dustin Johnson, well more than a living wage for every one of the golfers on the tour. And this is why this controversy is so great for the Crisis Files, because it presents a lot of issues that we dive into here on the Crisis Files. And one of those issues is the term monopoly. So the PGA Tour for more than 100 years has been the game in town if you want to go big in golf. And now Liv comes in and says, hey, guys, mostly, but, you know, women, too, we'll pay you to play, grow your brand. You don't have to be a big name yet. Come in. Let's have some fun. I recently heard a young PGA Tour player complaining about how this could be just the competition PGA Tour needs to get modernized. A hundred percent. If you don't follow professional golf and you're just watching even an hour on Sunday, you're seeing a lot of the big name players holding up a trophy and getting a massive check, sometimes multiple millions of dollars. The reality is most professional golfers toil in lower tournament leagues, such as the Corn Ferry Tour. And even if they make the PGA Tour, they're making a modest living, particularly when it's just them. They've got a lot of attendant expenses. They've got to play their trainers and their coaches, all their travel. And it's a really tough way to make a living. And the Live Tour, no doubt, is making it much easier on the players that participate. And the Live Tour has not restricted their golfers from playing on the PGA Tour, which is kind of different than what the PGA Tour is saying, is that they're not going to let people who participate in the Live Tour play with them, play play in their tour. And that's the thing. So why is this so ripe for crisis files analysis? It's because you've got disgruntled people. You've got a a real competition going here. You've got PGA Tour smearing the Live Tour. You've got even Donald Trump is mentioned in this whole Live Tour situation. Two of the events in 2023 for Live will be on Trump's properties. So it's got a lot of layers. Let's talk about this term monopoly. Can a monopoly sometimes be good for the consumer because it assures quality and we kind of know what we are going to get when we experience that? A consistency of a brand does have value, and monopolies themselves have value. I mean, obviously, our utilities are regulated monopolies, and it's nice to know when you turn on your light switch that you're going to have power. When you look at sports franchises, some have more value than others. The NFL, probably the strongest brand in America. If all of the NFL players disappeared tomorrow, we probably would still follow our local teams because we value the Minnesota Vikings. Or if you've got mental and emotional problems, you value the Green Bay Packers. Uh, (laughs) I guess we know who you are a fan of. But yeah, I get it. The NFL is really an interesting case study in brand. It is a unitary brand, and it's so strong, and it's almost impossible to compete. In fact, the competitive leagues are finally understanding you've got to work with the NFL. NFL or nothing's going to happen. The NBA is a little bit of a hybrid in the sense that the brands generally reside in the players. LeBron James kind of transcend the NBA brand. The question is, is the PGA that strong enough of a brand that it's going to transcend the players that are playing on their tour? And if they leave, will people follow them to a competitive tour? 
The PGA Tour needs to be introspective and humble in their own analysis, what they do really well and, frankly, what they don't do well. And what they don't do well, they should look at the Live Tour and say, every PGA Tour player who gets a card gets a guaranteed check every year. Win, lose, or go home, they get paid X amount of money so they never have to worry about fees. Well, it seems like such a basic concept, Steve. We shouldn't work for free. Even those guys that don't win or don't get advanced to the next round, the next round, the next round, they were there and they helped you have your tournament. You know, they were part of the fan base that came out. So when the TV cameras are covering your event, there are all those fans. I mean, everything is interconnected. The fans do matter. My sense as someone who helps clients with their own personal brand and their organizational brand, you don't want to tick off your customers and the fans are a big part of that customer base. At the end of the day, what's unique about golf is that it's probably played more by amateurs than any other sport. While more people definitely watch football, golf's very different. They have a lot of amateur players. So the brand is so important for essentially the perpetuation of the amateur golfers. And the PGA should really understand that interconnected nature with their consumers. Complacency is a risk for all businesses. Any business that become complacent is at risk for a crisis. A monopolistic business, which the PGA Tour is, whether they call themselves that or not, is even more at risk for competition because when they see competition, they're not used to it. Most businesses operate amongst a very competitive environment and they're used to that competition. Monopolies, not so much. The PGA Tour was just not ready for this. And frankly, their response was ill-informed and improper. And here's a stat I learned that is really alarming to me. I think in general, no one is crying for golfers, right? No one's crying if you're out there playing golf. People seem to assume you're rich. Well, a stat that I learned is that if you are in the top 400 golfers in the world, the bottom 350 of you may not be able to be making a living that supports your family. That's stunning to me. In the world. I mean, you're a lawyer. No lawyer could say that. Any lawyer anywhere could make a good living. It's always amazing to me in sports in general, and we'll digress a bit, that people always look at the top level of basketball, football, or golf and say, oh, my God, they're making $10, $20 million a year just playing a sport. Well, they're the best at what they do. The best lawyer in the world makes way more than the best professional golfer. The best doctor in the world makes more than than almost anybody but the top few NFL players. The reality is, is that athletics is a entertainment sport. So there's a lot of media scrutiny to it. It's really hard to become a professional golfer. And even if you make the PGA Tour, which is the top tour that the PGA runs, though the PGA runs multiple tours, including the Latin American Tour, as well as the Corn Ferry Tour, players on the Corn Ferry Tour are essentially living at below poverty. Even if you win those tournaments, I think the top prize money is thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And nobody wins more than three or four tournaments a year. So it, it's a really, really, really tough living. The people who do it are very passionate about it. And listen, it is hard to be too sorry for someone who gets to make money playing a sport because it's it's obviously the aspiration of so many young people and, and when you finally realize that dream. That being said, it's not a bad thing for them to demand fair pay and, frankly, better working conditions. The PGA, you only get paid if you win. That is right for things like playing through physical ailments they shouldn't and, frankly, not attending to their mental health. 
The PGA Tour has been horrible about dealing with mental health issues. And when you've got individual athletes who have to survive solely on their own skill set, that is a situation rife oh, it's for a, serious It's a recipe for a disaster, right? Yes. So how does this relay into normal people's worlds? Well, if you are a boss out there, I hope you're thinking about equal working conditions, giving everybody a competitive advantage or a level playing field so they can be competitive. That's how it plays out. From the spectator side of this, I'm really looking for solutions here. If I were advising the PGA Tour, I'd say, look, this is your wake-up call, folks. It's your day to modernize, get with the program, show some openness, and look Look at this as an opportunity, much like when the other professional leagues, the NHL, the NFL, have been challenged by competitors. And now each of those cases is a little different. However, their players got paid. People had an option when you're one of those players. And let's not just say these are the players. It's all the support around the players, whether it's coaches or janitors or other staff. These teams, these leagues do provide places of employment for a lot of people. 100%. Often when companies are faced with a crisis of competition, they generally respond with arrogance, when really they should be responding with humility. They should be looking inward and saying, what could we do better? There's a lot of blueprints for how the PGA could respond to this. The NBA had a competitive league, the American Basketball Association, eventually determined to merge and essentially adopt some of their rule changes. The NFL just decided they were going to destroy all competitions and have consistently destroyed all competitions. Major League Baseball, interestingly enough, has an antitrust exemption. Congress passed a law saying that Major League Baseball is the baseball monopoly. Which might be why they say it is the American pastime. You know, I mean, it's truly an American sport. It's very interesting when you dive into that exception. And that leads to a little more congressional scrutiny, and baseball has to be careful because they could pull that exemption. And then you have the NCAA, and they essentially just buried their head in the sand, and really what's going to happen to them is they're going to disappear. The NCAA is going to stop being the organization that, that that governs collegiate athletics. And what we're seeing with the Big Ten and the SEC is the last death throes of the NCAA. So you've kind of predicted this year. We'll have to have a whole other case file on Mm -hmm. the NCAA. Well, Steve, so what I'm hearing is we recommend that the PGA Tour modernizes, wakes up, and say, sure, bring on the competition. There's more golf for everyone. Maybe it would get more types of people into the sport. People of all genders and all backgrounds could be in the sport and actually feel like they could be out there one day. If they don't engage with this competition, both productively and somewhat collaboratively, in other words, recognize that that more golf is probably good for golf, they're going to become less and less relevant. And we're going to come up on a serious crisis, and this itself could be a crisis because one golf event that most very casual golf followers watch is the Ryder Cup. Obviously, Minnesota has been the home of the Ryder Cup on multiple occasions. It, it's a true international sport. It's kind of like the World Cup. Even if you don't like soccer, you follow the World Cup. Even if you don't love golf, you follow the Ryder Cup. The PGA runs the Ryder Cup. So is the PGA Tour really going to forbid Patrick Reed, who's not a very popular golfer, but obviously arguably the best match play golfer in modern history, Dustin Johnson, one of the more exciting golfers, Phil Mickelson, is he going to be essentially Shunned and and left behind. Yeah, I mean, these are truly some of the best golfers in the game. And are you going to say, no, 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 we get that you're an American and we're not going to allow you to play for America? Yeah, because then we get into rules and rules can't be arbitrary. They have to be equally applied. 
100%. Well, Steve, lots of new issues that could come up, new controversies. That's what I like on The Crisis Files. So there's never really an end to the crises. That's why we're here to break them down. Thanks to Crisis Squad member Steve Silton for sharing his insight. Today's Crisis Brief brought to you by Spoke 612 Productions. Number one, avoid name-calling or demeaning the competition. Number two, look at challenges as an opportunity to recharge or reinvent your own brand. Number three, share thoughtful answers to controversial questions. Spoke 612 Productions takes your ideas and brings them to life. Linda, Sarah, and Matt are committed to excellence and inclusivity. As a WeBank certified women-owned production company, Spoke 612 inspires awareness and delivers impact through storytelling. When you put your project in their hands, Spoke 612 draws on their own talents and experience to ensure they tell the best possible version of your story. Visit their portfolio at Spoke612.com. Thank you to my podcast co-producer, Tom Hamilton of Undertone Music. Want us to weigh in on your crisis? Email me, Rashini at RashiniGroup.com, R-O-S-H-I-N-I at RashiniGroup.com. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files. <laughs>